page 1242 in the Pew Bible or Luke 1525 in uh, your Bible, I invite you to turn to this morning's text. This is the end of a four-part series on Luke 15. Let me bring you up to speed. Until now, until this last message and this last part of the chapter, Jesus has been answering the accusation of the scribes and the Pharisees when they said in verse 2, this man receives sinners and eats with them. As though just to make the observation were a manifest indictment that would bring him crashing down. And he answers it, number one, when I receive sinners and eat with them, it is like a shepherd finding, after a long search, a sheep and bringing him home and celebrating. Answer number two, when I receive tax collectors and sinners and eat with them, it is like a woman who finds one of her lost coins and invites her friends and celebrates. Answer number three, when I eat with tax collectors and sinners, it is like a father running down a road with his arms wide and hugging a penitent, broken, returning son and kissing him and putting a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and gathering the whole family and slaughtering the fatted calf and throwing a party. That's what it means when I eat with tax collectors and sinners. So the whole point so far has been to say to these scribes and Pharisees who are standing around the edges of this room, judgingly, condemningly, looking on this eating with tax collectors and sinners, he looks at them and he looks at these sinners, prostitutes, drug dealers, whatever. And he says, the whole point of this is, I am the love of God, come down in search of lost people. I'm a doctor. Physician coming for the sick. It is not the well who have need of a physician. Now, at this point, in the, in the parable of the lost son, a shift happens. And it's a shift in verse 25 that we need to be awake to, very, very awake to, because now he looks out on this crowd here of about 800 people or so, and he he says, this part of the parable is for long-time church attenders. This part of the parable is for people who don't struggle much with running away to the far country and squandering their money on prostitutes. This is for people who struggle with condemning the people that do. This part of the sermon, this part of the parable 
is for people who come to church and almost always feel like the text is for somebody else. And so we need to really listen this morning. We long-time veteran, clean-cut Christians like me need to listen. Okay? So if you're a, a dirty sinner, listen. If you're a clean sinner, listen. Let's read it. I'm going to start at verse 24 so you pick up the context. This son of mine was dead and has come to life. He was lost and was found. And they began to be merry. Now, his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things might be. And he said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he's been received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began entreating him. But he answered and said to his father, look. For so many years I have been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a, a kid, that is a little goat, that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your wealth with harlots, you killed the catted calf for him. And he said to him, My child... You have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. We had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. Oh, Father in heaven, it's very hard to improve. It's impossible to improve on what you've said. It's very, very powerful. Don't let my words get in the way of that power. But somehow, as this text filters through my reading and my heart, open it, open it, and bring its life-changing power to bear on elder brothers in this congregation. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's clear to everybody, isn't it, that the elder brother is the Pharisee here. The Pharisee and the scribe of verse 2. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So here Jesus is, he's been at the table. He's got these unsavory people at the table with him. He's been telling three parables about how his eating with them is God's rejoicing in heaven that they're coming home. And now he lifts up his eyes and he looks over their heads to these, these fellows who are standing around on the edge with their arms folded like this. And he has, he has something to say to them. 
And this is what he has to say. These words go straight to the heart of the meaning of Christianity. And my prayer with the elders and the deacons downstairs and and with the Lord this morning by myself is that those of you in this room right now whose relationship with God is on a wrong footing would get it on a right footing this morning. This elder brother has his relationship with God all messed up. It's the relationship with God that is on the wrong footing that is causing all the trouble with his brother and is causing all this anger and all this resentment, all this blindness. It's the God issue. It's how he's relating to his father, not his brother, that is really at stake here. Now, here are the key words for how his relationship has got wrong. Verse 29. Let's read it again. He says to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you. If you have an NIV, slaving for you. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good translation. Slaving for you, serving you. And I've never neglected a commandment of yours. And yet, you never gave me a kid that I may be merry with my friends. Now, there's some clues in this verse for why he is dishonoring his father, disunited from his brother, and destroying himself. And I want you to see this so bad. What is it that's dishonoring to his father, alienating himself from his brother, and bringing destruction upon himself in these words, what is his relationship to his father here? Answer, it's a relationship of master-slave. Look, for so many years I have been serving you. And the word that Jesus chooses there is not something sons do, it's something slaves do. And that's why the NIV is right to say slaving for you. He sees himself as responding to a slave master. God is a slave master and he is producing good, solid obedience. And if your life is on that footing with God, everything will go wrong. Everything will go wrong. Here's clue number two. I have never neglected, same verse, I have never neglected a commandment of yours. Commandment. He, he's got a commander at the center and he is a responder to commands. And his life cruises around how many years he's been doing that and how meticulously he's been doing it. And if that's your way of relating to God, you're a goner from the word go. Everything will go wrong in your life. All your horizontal relationships will go wrong. The vertical relationship is all messed up. Your own soul will shrivel under that kind of relationship. It will be destructive to yourself this is not the way this father wants to be related to. The issue here is 
Where is the son-father affection? Where is the delight in being in the father's house? Where is the joy of camaraderie here with this father? Acts chapter 17 verse 25 says, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. For he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything. If you want to dishonor God, serve him as though he needed you. So many church attenders, so many professing Christians got a wrong start and they're Here's the center. Here's Christianity. And they walked right up to it and they took their stand right off center. I will serve him. I will serve him many years. And I will serve him many ways. And when the time comes for me to commend myself into his presence, I will remind him of how long it has been and how meticulous it has been. Please, If that rings true to where you are, keep listening. God has something so good to say to you in this parable. Here's another verse. Mark 10.45, Jesus says, The Son of Man came not to be served. Do you believe that? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to give his life a ransom for many. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you more work to do. Is that, is that what he said? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden with sins, burdens, and the need to measure up to everybody under the sun, and I will give you rest. I will work for you. Who is a God like our God who works for those who wait for him? This poor fella. This poor fella has a father and he treats him like a master. He has a father and he's insisting on building his relationship in his life upon commands and dutiful obedience, upon master and slave working. That's the fundamental issue in this second half of the parable. As Jesus looks out over the The dirty sinners. He sees all these clean sinners with their arms folded. And their whole foundation of relating to God is wrong. It's wrong. It's off base and it's destroying them. It's destroying their relationship with these sons and daughters of Abraham that are gathered around Jesus coming home. And it's dishonoring the Lord. And you need to test yourself here. I can remember in my life when I flunked this test. The test is, 
when you read this parable or when you hear me right now, does there rise up in your mind and heart this thought? Well, shoot, doesn't seem fair to me. I mean, it seems like the elder brother had a legitimate beef. If you say that, you don't get it yet. You don't get it yet. Because to say that means you got to get out here and interpret things that way. If you're out here, that works. Yes, he's got a beef. If you're out here on this footing of Christianity, master, slave, commander, dutiful obeyer, well, it's a closed case. I get the calf. It's just... So this father won't even relate to that issue. This is amazing. This is such good news. I just, as I was working on this yesterday, as a father, my, my fathering is, is fast passing into the past in its shaping years. And I just say, I'm glad I've got some years to go because so much, I'm learning so much from this father here, which I'll try to draw your attention to. But, but first, before I get to the father and his beautiful gospel word to this son, let's talk about what this wrong footing, this wrong relationship is doing this way, horizontally. Here's the two things. Number one, he, it's making this son, um, resentful toward mercy, angry at grace extended to his brother. And it's not hard to see why. If you stand on a relationship with God that is built around his commands to which in order to stay in right relationship with him, you must keep before there's any sweet, deep resting in his grace, then intuitively there rises up in your heart this feeling that no way is any Johnny-come-lately going to come in here and take the party when I have been here all these years and I have produced all this work for the church. That just rises intuitively in your heart. If... Your heart is built on that relationship. But if your heart is built on a, a loving father, a freely adopted son, or a freely newborn son that came into being himself owing to no works of his own, this is why the sovereignty and freedom of God's grace is so precious to me and so central to the Bible. If your whole life is rooted in free and sovereign grace bringing you into being, you can never boast like that. You can never boast like that. All you can do is stand in wonder, love and awe as the hymn says that you are in the house. And if anybody gets brought in late like this thief on the cross, imagine that. Imagine, well, I was going to say imagine Peter, but Peter had wept his eyes out the night before. And so he probably is prepared to say, praise God, the thief will be with me. But maybe James hadn't gotten there yet. Maybe not. And James hears those words today, today, 
for nothing you'll be with me in paradise. And James says, because he's going to be killed in just a few months. He says, well, what about us who've been with you all? You know, they argued again and again, which one is the greatest in the kingdom? It is a long time for those guys to catch on to the freedom of God in grace. So the first horizontal corruption is that it destroys, it alienates us from the needy, it alienates us from the sinners, it makes us feel resentful and angry at grace and mercy if our lives are built on the footing of master-slave rather than father-child. Here's the second thing. This is a little more subtle, but see if you don't see this in verse 30. It makes us blamers. Blamers. Verse 30 says, um, part of it, notice these words, when this son of yours, those words strike you as ominous. When this son of yours, not this brother of mine. You know what I heard when I heard those words? This, when this son of yours comes home, I heard Adam saying to God in the garden, this woman whom you gave me, she made me do it. Do, that is a blasphemous word. You're the origin of all this mess. That's what I hear this son. He's not going to he's not even going to get close enough to that brother to say, my rotten brother came home. Your son came home. Your son. He's the one who goofed up. When your relationship to God is all wrapped up in treating him as a slave master and you as an earning slave, you become so blinded to the dynamics of grace that you are willing to blame God for things. Well, that's a bad situation to be in. Let's see how the father ministers to this son. And I say ministers to him, and it is amazing. It is amazing how this father treats him. And keep in mind now that the point of the parable is Jesus looking over the heads of the sinners into the eyes of the Pharisees. This is Jesus' word. If you ever hear anybody say, Jesus never said anything kind to the Pharisees. Jesus never treated the Pharisees as though he wanted them to be saved ever. You take them to this text. And you show Jesus looking over the heads of sinners into the eyes of Pharisees and unpack what I'm about to unpack for that person. This is the way Jesus feels about the Pharisees. Five, five simple, gracious things. Number one, verse 28, second half of the verse, his father came out. Just stop there. The father is inside. He's singing. He's dancing. This is the greatest party he's ever had in his life. And a slave comes up to him and taps him on the shoulder and says, Joseph won't come in. What? 
Joseph won't come in. What do you mean he won't come in? He's on the porch and he's really mad. He's not coming in. Have you ever been in a family situation like that? It's Thanksgiving dinner. It won't come down. It won't come out of the room. I mean, people who are going to ruin a celebration. It's just awful. And every time I've been in one of those situations, I get mad. His father did not get mad. He didn't get mad. His first emotion, his dominating, guiding emotion was not anger. He came out. So he comes out. He didn't say, he didn't say, go and tell him he get himself in here and he better have a smile on his face. He, he didn't, he didn't commission anybody to go and he didn't send word and he didn't holler. Hey, Joe, get in here. He says, okay, I'll come, I'll come. Now, this is a picture of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus came into the world to save hypocrites and not just harlots? I don't go to church because there are hypocrites there. Jesus came into the world to save hypocrites. Jesus came out of the party, out of heaven to save hypocrites. He loves hypocrites. He loves Pharisees. They get tough words. That's not all they got. Second observation. A little bit farther in verse 28. His father came out and began entreating him. Now this word, entreating, I believe Jesus means very specifically to fly right in the face of what this brother is going to say in the next verse. What the brother says is, I never neglected one of your commandments. Now, notice two things. Number one, the father does not come out and say, I command you, come in. He doesn't. He says, won't you come in? He entreats him. And number two, this guy says, I never neglected one of your commandments. And the father could have said at that moment, you're neglecting this one. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't say it. Why? Because... He does not want this son to come in slavishly. He doesn't want him to say, okay, all right, I hear your commandment. I hear you, and I keep commandments. And so, just back off. I, you don't need to say anymore. Don't talk to me anymore. I'm coming in. The father does not want that. He doesn't want that from you. I'm good at church. I read my Bible. I keep my nose clean sexually. I, I know commandments. I can do that. It's not what he wants. It's not what he wants. So he doesn't try to get it. He doesn't come out commanding. 
And he doesn't draw attention to this inconsistency. Listen to this word from Paul to his good friend Philemon. In the book Philemon, chapter 1, verse 8, listen. Paul says, though I have enough confidence in Christ to command you to do what is proper, yet, for love's sake, I appeal to you. Same word. Wow. You see what's at stake here? What the Father is saying is, yes, I have the right to command you. God God has the right to command you in absolutely every area of your life. There is a will of God. But his desire is not to build a relationship on master-slave dynamics. But something else to happen first and deeper. Come to me. Rest in me. Enjoy me. For love's sake, I appeal to you. And so what I was praying this morning, what I'm praying right now in my head for you, is that God would awaken you to the dynamics of a father-child relationship. Because this is spiritual reality. You could walk out of here this morning having heard me try my best to explain this and not get it. Because it's spiritually perceived and experienced and received. You could push it away from you. The intimacy implied in it could be so threatening for you. You would push it away from you and prefer staying on the porch. The end of this parable is so scary. Because you ask at the end, well, did he come in? Is he saved? What happened? It just stops. It just stops. And the question is, will he stay on the porch? Will you stay on the porch? Oh, will you come on in right next to the father? Third observation that the father of the father's love and and relationship to the son here. He gives this bitter complaint. And then the father says in verse 31, and these first two words are all important. And he said to him, my child. Or. My son, not my servant, not my slave. The son has just unloaded on him. Why didn't you give me this and how can you do that? And, and you could just feel in any given human father the rage at this boy's ingratitude for all the years and his indifference to his brother and his rudeness to his father is rising with rage in the father's heart. And it isn't there. What you hear is, in the Greek, it's just one word, technon, child, child, don't you get it, child, not slave, not employee, not labor and management, child, don't you get it, you could, I just don't, I wonder if Jesus looking out over Just as he got to that moment in the parable, as he lifted up his eyes, and maybe he picked out one Pharisee at the back when he said, Technon. You see Jesus doing that? Technon. Or in Aramaic, whatever it was. Child. That's the word to the Pharisee before, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. That's the first word. 
is an amazing thing. You know, just reveal to you some of my own struggles as a father. If if I get into a, a, a situation where I think one of my boys is, is acting wrong, how easy it is to get sucked in to the dynamic that I'm that Jesus is here pushing away. You see, after verses 29 and 30, where this boy just unloads on his father, logic could have creamed this boy. Just could have creamed him. Because the boy has claimed never to have fallen short of one of the father's commandments. And right now he's falling short of one of the father's commandments. I mean, he could have just creamed him. There. You're inconsistent. And it would have done absolutely no good. Because you would have joined the boy on his turf. So the father stays right at the center of grace. He looks out on the porch. And he says, not logical conversation partner who just committed a flaw. But, child, hear me, hear this word. Observation number four, verse 31. My child, you have always been with me. Literally, you are always with me. Now, here is the deepest void in the brother's heart. He is not satisfied with the father's fellowship. What the father does, instead of saying, um, my commandments you have kept, he says, I'm always here and you're always here and we eat together all the time. Always with me. Now, what's wrong? What's wrong with this boy? How can he say, you've never given me a goat that I might make weary with my friends? I mean, he's the heir of the estate. He has a kind and generous father. He has oversight over flocks and herds. What is this sentence? You never gave me a goat. What is that? What is that? Where does that come from? You know what that is? That is the mark of a person for whom the grace and the glory of the Father is no longer their treasure. The Father has become a means to a treasure, namely, goat feasts with my friends. In a sense, this guy's a prodigal too, only he doesn't have the guts to leave. He does not have the guts to leave. He's not home. He's not home. He's not at home. He doesn't love being with his father. It's no treasure anymore. I want to be with my friends with a goat. But I'm stuck with you. Day in and day out at the table. 
This is a really frightening situation to be in. And I, I hope I'm lifting up a warning as we close here. Lifting up a warning early enough to catch some of you before you drift into a kind of hardness toward the Lord that will be almost impossible to retreat from. Oh, we who've been Christians a long time need to be careful. We are so vulnerable to this. So vulnerable. What he's calling for here, what Jesus is calling for here, is that we love God and not his gifts with me. Here's the last point. Verse 31. The Father does say something about gifts. All that is mine, he says, is yours. All that is mine is yours. How is it his? It's his as an inheritance to sons, not wages to slaves. It's all his. If you, now this is my interpretation, you can take it or leave it. I'm putting these words in Jesus' mouth. He didn't say them. If you stay on the porch, if you refuse to relate to me as father and son instead of slave, master and slave, if you insist on the dynamics of merit and earning instead of faith and grace, if you stay out there on the porch, arms folded, or on the circle instead of sitting at the table, And he doesn't he doesn't finish the sentence. And I think the reason he doesn't finish the sentence is because he's trying to entreat this boy. He's not trying to threaten him. There's a time to threaten. There is. There's a time to talk about hell and forsaking and losing it all. And there's a time just to say, I'm your father and I'm entreating you. And your brother is inside and he's alive and you're always with me and everything I have is yours Would you please come in and enjoy it? You finish the sentence according to what you think the rest of the Bible teaches. Let's bow for prayer for a moment. I'm going to invite Sojourner or Glenn to come. And we're going to sing in a moment. And as we sing, as always, some of you will need to go and others want to linger and And worship the Lord for a few more minutes as we stand. And others, I'd like you to come and and pray. And uh, I didn't say this beforehand, but maybe a couple of the elders and deacons as well as the prayer teams could just stay at the front to see if people would like to pray. And, And here's what I think God is doing. I know he's doing it in my heart. Longtime Christians are in grave danger of becoming hard towards the weak and towards sinners. And they are in danger of being alienated like that. And so if you have felt hardness creeping up in your heart or a feeling of mercilessness or that you are more prone to feel disgust when you see a certain kind of sinner than you are compassion, I wonder if you might not want to linger and seek the Lord a little bit as we close that he would entreat you effectively and that you would leave the porch and and come on in. We'd be willing to just ask the Lord to do that here at the front if you want to come up and pray or you can stay and pray in a pew or you can take that prayer with you as you go. Let's stand together and I'll pray.
and then we'll sing for a while. Father, I earnestly beseech you that you would speak these fatherly words of entreaty into the hearts of every person in this room. You would say, child, child, with me, with me, always with me. He was dead and he's alive. Come, let us make merry. Lord, would you put people's relationship with you on a father-child grace footing and take them off of master-slave works footing. And so build mighty saints, children of God. And all the people said, Amen.